Hey y'all, what's good? Here we are with another day and another episode on the Pilgrimage Podcast. I'm your host, Zarouf Bissom, and I got a really special guest on the show with us today. We've got Pastor John Alwachekwa. Yeah, what's up, uh, man? What's up, what's up, what's up? Nothing much. It's great to have you here. Uh, pastor John, he's the pastor at Cornerstone ATL. I've had several people that know you that go there. Okay. We got James, James and Sean Hogue, who were okay. there a few years back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we got Brady Evans and Catherine oh, Evans, yeah. who I go to church with right now, that um, have a lot of great things to say about you. So you pastor there. You're on the board with the Creek Collective, yeah. which is really dope. Yeah. You're an entrepreneur. You got Portrait College coffee and as you say in your book you're not rich yet but he is on the huge <laughs> come up <laughs> uh, it's gonna be a while so yeah i'm i'm uh i'm rich in spirit so i get up every day and i enjoy being a part of all of those teams right so yeah. it's like yeah just being a part of all those teams is something very special to me Man, uh, that I feel that like uh, what you continually say over and over again in the book, which I resonate with, is everything I've tried to start out by myself, yeah. I haven't really finished. Right? Oh, but yeah. when, but when the we is there, when the we is there, it's like really dope. In fact, even for me, like uh, there are very few people in my life that I know start things by themselves and are able to finish. But those who are, they're built different. Right? Oh yeah. <laughs> Yep, and I yeah, I am not built like that. So, in uh, school, I thrive on group projects. I know people hate them, but I thrive on them because I'm not Type A, right? Right. <laughs> I need the Type A's in the group to help carry the thing. I'll push it through the finish line, but uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. One thing. One thing that uh. I, I really enjoy about the testimonies I've heard about what you're doing in Cornerstone, but just also kind of observed from a distance yeah. myself is you and the leadership team with like Pastor Rich and the other people, even when Trip was over there, y'all are really focused on the community you've got there. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're not too concerned. I mean, if other people hear about your ministries and are blessed with it, that that's great. But but you're really and even in the book, uh, th there was a scene that got me uh, incredibly um, more familiar with. You no, know, Pastor John really cares about the people of his church and the people of his city, so yeah. he's going to devote all his time to that. And so the stories I've heard. The, what I'm reading in the book and even in your sermons, which are hecka poignant. Like I was talking to James Hoke about this last yeah. week and I, I feel like you're such a slept on preacher, but like that doesn't, that, but that doesn't bother you. You're just out here giving the word. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, 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 no. And I'm, yo, so I'm happy. Like I'm happy and it's a joy to get to preach to my church each week. Right. It's a, yeah. uh, it's icing on top to get to preach like outside, but uh, a commitment that I've made a while ago that I got from a you know pastor friend, mentor years ago is yeah Cornerstone gets all of my fresh stuff. So mm. if anybody hears me preach anything, anywhere, I always want Cornerstone Church to be able to look and say, oh yeah, no no, no I heard that before. Like we got yeah. it fresh, y'all get the overflow of the. Right, Excess of right. it, yeah. So they 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 get the first fruits, huh? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Uh, man, I love that. Um, 
Yeah, well, uh, yeah, let's uh, let's transition into talking to about your book a little bit. But I do want to ask you first, uh, this this podcast is called The Pilgrimage uh, Podcast. And what I love about your book is kind of the the vision of this podcast is the idea that life is not particularly about the setbacks, the durations or the triumphs. Right. But it is about the continuance. Yeah. Uh, like the fact that we are always moving, whether it's going to a sacred place for a little amount of time, but in life we are pilgrimaging. Right. And uh, and so I, I kind of wanted to get a little bit of an overview of your pilgrimage and your story to how you got to the point where you are right now yeah. in life. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a Christian home, so my parents were real deal Christian, right? So we're... Mm-hmm. African. So what that means is, you know, punctuality is not a virtue that we hold (laughs) highly. So, but it was a type of thing, bro, where every morning, right, we wouldn't leave the house and we'd be late for school, late for practice, but we wouldn't leave the house unless we prayed, read the Bible and sang songs to the Lord, right? Right. There's a lot of people that are turned away from the faith because they've seen hypocrisy in the church as they grew up. I saw honesty and integrity in my household, right? So I saw my parents who loved God more behind the scenes that they did in public. And so that like planted seeds that settled deep in my heart, my own, you know, ignorance and ambition being convinced that as a, you know, 15 or 16 year old, I knew more about life than my mom and my dad (laughs) led me to pursue like finding joy, uh, validation or sense of who I am in, you know, the sports that I played, the relationships that I was in. And uh, the summer after my senior year in high school, my parents took us to Nigeria for a month. And long story short, and I talk about this in the book, long story short, this was the, the moment, right, that changed my life. You know, close to 20 years ago this summer, uh, Long story short, we're driving back from the north side of the country in the middle of the night. Our car gets a flat tire. We get robbed at gunpoint on this third road. My mom, my dad, my four brothers and sisters. And as I'm like laying down on the ground, right, that red dirt, you know, filling up my lungs as I'm inhaling these sobs, right, trying to swallow my cries so as to not aggravate the robbers. Um, All I can think to myself is, Yo, I've wasted my life. I've wasted my life. I've wasted my life. Mm-hmm. Everything I invested my life in is powerless. It's impotent to save me. And the one thing that I've heard about that is like the one God that I've heard about that's the author of salvation, I've slept on him. I've played him to the left. And so it was that point. It's like, all right, God, let me flip things, right? Lord, I promise, like, yo, I I did what anybody does at this point, right? You think you're about to die, and so you bargain with God, right? God, I promise, (laughs) I promise, God, like, really, if you save me from all this, I promise I'll spend the rest of my life trying to devote it to you, um, trying to make you known. And God God saved us. And um, I came back home, and for me, it was like the only practical thing I could think to do was like, yo— I've got to start over. I'm too, I'm too concerned about fitting in with uh, everybody else. I'm too concerned about pleasing yeah. people that I know that if I stay in surroundings that are familiar, I'm just going to live the same life that I lived. And so for me, it was like, all right, let me, 
uh, get away some. And so uh, yeah. I chose to go to school at Baylor. So like four weeks before school starts, I get on the phone. I'm just like, yo, I, I know I told y'all no, but can you let me in? And they're like, yeah. So, you know, my dad rented me a PT Cruiser and me and my little cousin drove to Baylor. We stayed in a Motel 6. I went to orientation and then I started school there that fall. And it was being there and being surrounded by people that were my same age that loved God with all of their heart. That for the first time, I think I got a real vision of what of what I could look like as a Christian. As somebody yeah. that really gave their life to the Lord and the rest is history, you know, that from there, God grabbed a hold of my heart. And I feel like the past 20 years have been me saying, Lord, I'll go anywhere. I'll do anything that you ask of me. Uh, but not being focused on the anything that God asks of me, but the next thing that God asks of mm -hmm. me. And so I've just been trying to do a series of next things. Yeah. And that led to college ministry. That led to seminary and church planning and pastoring and wanting to help change the economic trajectory of the community that we're in. So business yeah. and wanting to um, chronicle some of the helpful things that I've done and spread it out. And that led to writing and being an author. And so all of these things that I've done have just been, all right, what's the need right in front of me? Can I meet it? Do I have the right team to put this into place? Let's put it right. into place and let's see what happens. Man, and so now we we you're here and you've written uh, at least that I'm familiar that are published that are solo. You you've got the book on corporate prayer with yep. nine marks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We've got um, and we've got um, uh, we go on. Yeah. Uh, and I, I read uh, the book on corporate prayer when I was in college. I just graduated last May, okay. but I read it when it came out. Yeah. And I, I remember just being struck with one of your insights in that book that talk about the, the questions people are willing to ask in their prayer meetings yeah. or the things that they prioritize in them is going to be crucial to the life of your church. Right. Yeah. And And I remember where I was, I was in a, I was at a Southern Baptist University in man. Hannibal, Missouri, oh, and I, I started this thing called uh, Cherishing and Embracing the Imago Day yeah. because I realized I, I'm, an, uh, I'm the child of Ethiopian immigrants. Yeah. And so, um, like, I, because of my parents' uh, involvement in the church and their love for religion, and uh, you, 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 I, I don't know how similar it was for you, but when it came to things like racial justice and whatnot, yeah. the, the, the immigrant family, at least in the Ethiopian context I was raised in, the subcontext in Kansas to be even more uh, specific was be grateful for everything you've got. Right. And even, even if things do get tough and if it is because of arbitrary reasons that you are being misheard or uncared for, yeah. uh, tough it up, trust God and love people. But then when I read your book, it really freed me to like, um, start, um, amalgamating to start collecting and gathering all the things I cared about, especially as it related to the economic disparities we saw in the area we were in, you know, just this right. young, passionate kid who doesn't have a hold on a lot of things, but is introduced to some things. And it's like, yeah. 
there should be some empathy here. There's something Jesus says. And being able to voice it in our prayers, yeah. meetings, without it being weird, yeah. it, it's actually really difficult. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In those spaces. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, um, I, I, I've benefited from your writing tremendously. Oh, thank you, uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one, I was talking to Ruth Buchanan about this, actually. Uh, I remember you talking about either Windows and Mirrors or another podcast. I think it was four in the morning. And you talk about every day you try to come up with an illustration, one illustration or a word picture. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I see that's paid dividends in your writing and yeah. in your preaching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah so years ago... I, um, yeah, just wanting to work on my communication, right? And so yeah. uh, I, I was reading this book, Atomic Habits by James Clear. And he uh -huh. had what was called the two-minute rule, where if you're trying okay. to start a new habit, commit yourself to only giving 120 seconds to it per day. That way, mm -hmm. there's never a point in the day where you're you're like, I can't, right? Right. And so it's like, all right, I'm going to do one illustration per day. And for me, it was based on that. And Jerry Seinfeld, who every day for the past 30 years has written one joke. And he's like, yo, I'm just going to write one joke. It don't have to be good. Mm. But if I, so I mean, for Jerry Seinfeld, that's something like, yo, you know, 30 years a joke per day, that's like 90,000 jokes. Like something's going <laughs> to, yeah. something's going to pop, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so for me, it's like, let me just do that. And so I spent those first few days trying to come up with them. And then as things went on, it was like, a, oh, wait a minute. If I go through the day and I just observe things, then at the end of the day, I just chronicle things. Right. And you really have to train yourself to be able to, like, not come up with something, but look for a relationship that's already there. And I did it yeah. for yeah, three months. And I just found it was like, oh, this is now I... Yeah, I can't help but to think this way. Yeah, and I, I promise I'm not just like uh, saying this to be like, uh, uh, like th this is not me pretending. Like even that has inspired me when it comes to like podcasting things. Yeah. And uh, I, I've always been a curious dude. I've always asked questions, but even now I'm intentionally trying to ask one question a day that That's I it. don't know about. That's it. Yeah. That's love. <laughs> Yeah. yeah and so that like uh you saying that really made it plausible and possible because i was so frustrated i love learning things i would love to study everything if i could oh, and it's like I, yeah, yeah yeah so peek at it by just asking a question to and it helps in your relationships and helps right, in conversational right, 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 habits right, right. right and 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 it really is great like word pictures for the christian are yeah. really soul satisfying like oh, yeah. propositional statements alone uh they, they they get lost in the weeds or people people can kind of feel you know left out if they're yeah. not trying to speak and uh, into their worlds absolutely uh, with the word pictures that they make. Uh, so i love it
your story, the, 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 the being, I've heard you talk about uh, that experience and being uh, like uh, assaulted by those robbers. I've heard you speak about it. And in the book, you kind of, uh, uh, you kind of get to share more about what's happening underneath. And then you kind of talk about what led to your experience with the author of Ecclesiastes. Yeah. Kind of in that moment of, all right, I've wasted my life, this, that, and the other. Those themes were connected to the teacher. Yeah. And um, in, in those moments of crises or even in moments of boredom and uh, sadness in life, um, it, it can kind of seem, I, I know for me, there are times I've uh, almost become a nihilist, like nothing right. matters. And uh, that's every time I've read Ecclesiastes, that's kind of the track I always thought the teacher was on. But your book kind of challenged my notion of brutal honesty and a lack of hope to right. be connected. And the way you challenged it is when you wrote this, honesty and hope aren't parallel streets we travel down. They intersect, which means we don't have to choose if we're going to be honest or hopeful. Right. Yeah, that's uh, that insight uh, struck me. So I, I wanted to ask, what were kind of the circumstances of your life or the moments of study that led to such a powerful insight? Yeah, it was... Um, so I talk about, you know, the death of my brother and how that's like... Sh or how it's shaping me, right? So I don't even want to say how it shaped me because that's mm -hmm. to assume the shaping of the molding is complete at some point in time. And in the same way, you know, when you're close to somebody and they're living, they shape you. And yeah. when they die, um, your relationship with them doesn't end. It changes, right? And so mm -hmm. his death is shaping me still. And I think it 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 shaped me because I felt a tension of, yo, I gotta be strong for my family. I gotta be strong for my church. I've gotta be yeah, strong about all of this stuff. And I would waver and there would be times where it's like, I don't know what I feel, right? Like Yeah, yeah. Like as I'm holding my daughter on Good Friday, which is the anniversary of my brother's death, which is the mm. day that she took her first breath unassisted at the same time, which is the day that Christ took his last breath. As right. I hold her, right, <laughs> tears, right, start to run, right? They're yeah. racing down my cheeks. And I'm sitting at that point right now, or I'm sitting there, and as I'm tasting those tears, I can't tell if they're tears of sorrow or tears of joy, because they all taste mm. the same, right? I can't tell if they're wow. bitter or sweet, because they all taste the same and it's like learning that oh to live as if we have to choose one is actually not to embrace the complexity of life life is not right. black and white life is yeah colored and it's textured and there's yeah nuance right so it was like the death of my brother and the birth of my daughter taking place two years right um apart like to the day it's you know right. sitting with the reality of being in a country where honestly um things are bad if you're mm -hmm. a minority honestly right. it's a the pace of change is moving 
slow and it's unacceptable. But hopefully you read the past and it's like, no, 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 no. But we have come a long way. And it's living in a polarized world where people are forcing you to choose one. You've got to be hopeful. You've got to talk about how far that we've come. Or you've got to be honest. You can't talk about how far we've come because then people will get complacent. And I just kind of sit back and I say, no, that's not right. I think, especially for the Christian, we live at that intersection because we look at people that say things are bad and we say, no, 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 no. Actually, things are much worse than you think that they are because the solution you imagine is somebody else coming to power. And the problem is whoever comes to power is going to have the same heart of the people who are just and so things are worse than you think that they are. But then we look to the hopeful and we say, no, 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 no. There's actually more hope than you siphon out of this. Your hope is rooted in a naive optimism that would deny the realities of what goes on. My right. hope is rooted in the dirty soil of the honest uh, reality that we live in. But because it's anchored there the the oak tree of my hope can grow yeah stronger faster yeah. and so i do think for the christian we uniquely say no things are much worse than you think that they are but wait i can still have hope because my religion is kind of based on a guy who who actually rose from the dead right yeah so i can feel hopeless but as a christian i can never actually be hopeless mm. because the root of what took place and it's not that Jesus just raised from the dead and that was a you know once in a lifetime thing or he was one of a kind right Jesus was one in a kind in the fact that he died for our sins yeah. but Jesus is the first of his kind in the fact that he rose from the dead right and that destiny Thanks. is what awaits uh, us and that's the source of our future hope man no I love that I remember uh, uh, a few months back you had NT Wright's resurrection of the Son of God on oh, your I table still have it yeah yeah I read that book about two years ago and I like uh, it was over Christmas break and it, it's huge it's massive I started the book two years ago so <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I I feel like I have just you know this young dude who doesn't have much to do no, during I, I break. love it no 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 it's great. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, but it's like, it, it is dense, but like one of those things that I love, he talks about the hope that Christ brings is that it, it is, it is like the first fruit of, uh, it's like a new era. It will be true of all of those who hoped of him too. Absolutely. And I think Keith actually posted, maybe it was almost probably a year ago or maybe less. You had a tweet about like the resurrection of the firstborn and, uh, us, coming after yeah. kind of like a, a suit that a tailor makes right yeah uh yeah and i remember do, do you remember the entirety of the illustration i don't want to i don't want to uh butcher it but like uh-uh, i, I remember it. yeah yeah it's a uh, um it, uh it was a uh, the resurrection if it was a suit right it was custom made for jesus Mm-hmm. But it fits all of us, right? So yeah. me and my brother, um, who's with the Lord now, one of the things that we did, we were pretty much the same size, build, and weight. So whenever yeah. we were both in a wedding, only one of us would go and get the measurements because yeah. it was like, yo, we both don't have to waste our time. Look, Sam, 
you go in front of me and whatever they say fits you, that's going to fit me. And so I'm just going to have them cut my suit the same way that they cut yours. And at the end of the day, it was a perfect fit. And I think in Jesus being a human, he comes down and he's like, no, listen, hey, look, y'all stand back. I'm going to go and get this resurrection suit custom made. And don't worry, the measurements are going to fit you. Right. That's powerful. Yeah. I, I love I love that. Um, yeah. That that is so good. Like I uh, you you talk about one of my favorite books that you mentioned that your book is kind of a playoff of or an answer to is Martin Luther King Jr.'s Where Do We, we Go, go from, from Here? Yeah. And it's like we go on. And one of the most like stirring chapters that he talks about in that book is kind of his arguments with Stokely Carmichael about the Black Power movement. Right. And 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 just kind of the semantics that he wanted them to not entirely give themselves over to uh to yeah you know how they Malcolm X and King had the differences between integrationism and black nationalism yeah. and black power also made some space for black nihilism as well yeah. and i feel like mlk is the perfect person to kind of uh play this book off of cuz one of his quotes that still speaks speaks to me deeply today is he says we can still carve a stone of hope out of a mountain of despair. Mm. And uh, yeah, and so when you talk about hope and honesty intersecting, uh, I, I love that this book is based off of that because I, like, I don't think of substantial hope, not sentimental hope, but substantial hope uh, as credited to anyone quite as much as I do to MLK. Yeah. And so, and, and, and as the believer, we have our hope in Jesus who resurrected as well. Um, so speaking of hope, <laughs> Uh, you you kind of talk about going on in light of all the pain and joys we undergo, uh, the brevity of life. Uh, when you kind of talked about uh, Abel's name and what that means, there's some gems in there. I won't right. give them away, but they lend us opportunities to contemplate life's meaningless. And because of the nature of grief, it almost feels right to fixate on hopelessness. So kind of piggybacking, piggybacking off of the last question, how do you support commending hope without seeming dismissive to the problems of the world today. Yeah. So I think you've got to be honest about the problems, right? Yeah, and yeah. and and I think uh, the people that are least qualified to talk about hope are the people that are um, least versed when it comes to the nature of the problem. So mm. John Dewey's going to say that a problem well-defined is a problem half-solved, right? Uh, one of the breakdowns that I see now is people can present a problem, race in America, injustice, economic injustice in uh, poor and disenfranchised communities. And somebody can come alongside and, and they say, nah, like, yo, let's look on the bright side of things. Things are going to get better. Or, no, look, I'm trying to do all that I can to make my organization diverse. So therefore, let's have hope. And people step back and say, oh, wait, 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 wait. You can't even enter into the problem because you you don't understand the nature of the problem, right? Right. That it's like, I do want to hope, but I feel most prone to hope when somebody, when I know that somebody understands the nature of the problem, right? This is what helped the Lord Jesus. So the Lord Jesus 
you know, comes through and he's like, yo, y'all have heard, you know, thou shall not like, or thou shall not kill. And they're like, oh yeah, no, no, we heard that. And he's like, ah, listen, well, I say to you, if anybody hates his brother, right? And so he says, no, no, listen, listen, y'all haven't even begun to understand the problem. Mm -hmm. And then, so he takes people who have a surface discontentment with life and he says, oh, no, no, no. But the source of it actually goes deeper. And then they get to a place where they say, oh, well, well, then what do we do, right? Peter does the same thing in Acts 2. He tells them, oh, no, no, listen, y'all remember Christ died? Actually, y'all are guilty of it. And this is how, and people then say, yo, what must we do to be saved? And he's like, yo, I'm glad that you asked. And now you have 3,000 people that are full of hope. So yeah. people tend to think that honesty disqualifies you to speak about hope. Honesty brings you into solidarity with people that are, that are in these, like, in the deep throes of darkness. And when they understand that you understand the nature of their plight, then they yeah. get to a place where they say, oh, well, I'm willing to, yeah, yeah, listen. Right. Listen to the hope. No, that, I love that. Uh, and one thing that you can't say about your book is that it doesn't um, connect grief and hope together yeah. like you're not you, you're not being dismissive right and I, I i can tell that you are intricately trying to display uh christian theological perspective uh but also a personal right. experience of hopefulness in god while still not pretending like we 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 got to be like oh no this is all good like pie in the sky folks who have a naive optimism will probably do more damage even if they're well intentioned that yeah. like i i just know like yeah. even for me there were so many things i tried to invest myself in that i just didn't understand right. so i didn't even have half of it solved yeah, yeah. <laughs> i didn't even have half of it right solved, right so. right Um, so you talk about you you talk about God's sovereignty in your book too, and uh, you, you kind of talk about it as God's got you. Like we we talk to other people and we say I got you, and we <laughs> fail them quite a bit. But God, He's God's He's got really you. got you. God's got you. And um, kind of because of if you, we want finding joy in all of life's sorrows and joys, or uh, all of those uh, finding purpose in all of life's sorrows and joys. Seeing his sovereignty in light of what you experienced, for me, it happened a lot during college and saying, am I just making up this idea of his control just to sustain me? Is this uh, a concocted theological doctrine that uh, is just meant to kind of uh, serve as a medicinal placebo so I can get through life? Yeah. And, but you, you talk about it in a fresh and weird way, and you still encourage us to believe it's true. So how, how would you counsel the weary pilgrim who can't reconcile belief in God's complete control after being disappointed by him uh, yeah. so many times? Yeah. Uh, I would say, you know, part of what makes it hard is that um, God's not done writing this story yet, right? Yeah. So, 
you think of right and and it's a you know the way that we make sense of it or the way that we find meaning is not through proposition it's through mm-hmm. narrative it's through right. um story right so so here's what we get um you think of uh joseph who had a dream and god saying yo joseph i got you you're gonna rule right and yeah. uh when he was like 16 or 17 and it takes him yeah, 13 yeah. years he gets to the point where it's like like this is the hardest part when uh this is the hardest part of trusting god in your story when things start to line up and you start to say oh all right god i'm glad for all of what you've done now i can see what 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 you're going right. to do and you start to predict what god's going to do next Joseph is in prison. These two guys have dreams. He tells them their dream. One of them, he's like, yo, sorry, fam. Your head's going to come off. Make things right with God before you go. But then he looks at the next one. He's like, yo, listen, Pharaoh's going to come and you're golden. You're Gucci. Yeah, don't forget me, though. (laughs) But hey, yeah, yeah. Make sure, though, when you get up, tell Pharaoh what I did for you, right? Mm -hmm. And... Basically, he goes up and I can imagine Joseph saying, yeah, yo, all of this stuff worked out so that, yeah, God's going to do this. And if he writes that story in his head, he's going to be disappointed because old boy went up and forgot about him for two years. Right. But then, right, God wasn't just concerned about deliverance. God was concerned about delivering somebody who would be exalted, but would still be a servant of the people and servant of God. So two years later, a need pops up once again by God's design. God gives Pharaoh a dream. Pharaoh looks out and says, yo, can anybody interpret the dream? Nobody. Then the dude says, oh, snap, this is God, Joseph. So Pharaoh comes back to him and like, yo, Joseph, I hear you're nice with the dreams, yo. Uh, Help me out. And Joseph says something interesting. Joseph says, uh, yo, I don't do the dreams. God does it, right? So I just want you to know, if I come through for you, it's not me that did it, but God. And what you see is that, oh, there's another aspect of the story that God's writing, and it's going to take time. And you're not going to make sense of the sovereignty of God through your windshield. You make sense Mm. of the sovereignty of God in your rear view mirror. You don't make sense of it with your insight. You make sense of it through hindsight. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, that that's that's really good. And it it doesn't seem like a uh yeah, you know, sometimes I I would just always like when I was going through something difficult or I always saw someone going through like something difficult. Yeah. You know how it can seem really dismissive to be like, "Oh, God God is sovereign," but you're still giving people the space to be like, "Ah, it's okay to not understand that he is in the midst." Right. Of yeah. That's so good because like I I would always just be so discouraged like man I don't have enough faith or or uh I I'm really wanting to hold on to the truth that God is faithful but it doesn't seem like he is being so yeah. but he he allows us to wrestle that and he's like you'll see you'll see that I got you you'll see it bro and it's yeah. a and it continues to unfold right it continues to yeah. unfold as time goes on and 
sometimes you aren't even thinking about it, but you know, but 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 God, right? God sends people to remind you. So, right, you know, I right. went to Baylor and I was there during that scandal the first year, you know, Coach Drew comes on the scene. Uh and I try to walk on and yeah. and brought on, but medically I don't get cleared because I've got a thing called herbs palsy in my right arm that affects you know nerves, shoulder, right. elbow, and all that. And so for two years, you know, I worked real hard, and I've got this in the book as well. Yeah, and just didn't understand why. And I was just there last week, and I get in yeah. and. Him and the chaplain are like, yo, we've pulled in the whole team, all the GAs, coaches. John, we want you to get up there and preach, man. Share the yeah. gospel. Like, we'll pr- we, we've been praying that people will come to faith. All all of that stuff. And then at the end, like, I'm like, yo, this is cool. This is dope. And we, yeah, prayed that God would, would, would use that. And then at the end, you know, Coach Drew was just like, yo, hey, team, I want you to know. Yo, John would have played with us, but his arm. But he's like, man, but now we see God had other plans for him. And I sit back and it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe that is <laughs> it, right? So, <laughs> right? so it's like sometimes we don't recognize what God does in hindsight. Somebody else has to come through and right. yeah, speak, speak for, for us. Yeah, I love that. Well, I I definitely want to be sensitive of time, but I got one more question yeah. for you because this that this this part um was really powerful to me. Again, the story of your brother Sam's passing. Yeah. Every time I hear it, it gets me choked up because right. it's like, what the heck happened? Do you know what I mean? As people like read it, and just as you were planting cornerstone in that time six weeks before all of that and all the desires to be strong this that and the other and so you you continue on in your exposition of ecclesiastes by intermingling your memoir-esque anecdotes and all of those things and wonderful things and we see the tribute to your brother at the end who passed away and you make this comment and say sam thank you for teaching me how to live without you Mm. and when you wrote that uh, I think it was right after the acknowledgments or maybe before. And I sat with that and I asked myself a question. Uh, what does it mean to be a person uh, that people dearly love and that really dearly loves people, but they still know how to live without you when you're gone? How, how, how do we become people that, that do that? Yeah. So, I mean, the very first thing is like realizing that your behavior will never rise above your vision. Right. And mm-hmm. so... It's like embracing the fact that, or this is my vision for my life. I think the purpose of my life is to prepare the people that I know and love to live in this world without me, right? Mm. And that if I can live a life, if that's my vision for life, then that's going to shape all of my behaviors, right? I want... Yeah, like I don't want to leave, you know, my wife or my daughter or my friends, right. but I know that at some point they're going to leave me here. Or I'm going to leave them. And I just want to yeah. make sure that I prepare, you know, people in this world to live without me. And so I think yeah. rather than like, you know, step one, step two, step three, it's 
committing yourself to this vision and then uh, letting that vision kind of be the lens through which you see things or letting that vision be the scale by which you measure what you're going to do with your time. Um, Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. Uh, There, there's this uh, WandaVision, uh, yeah. one of my favorite shows on Disney+. Plus. Uh, you know that that beautifully written part where they said, what is grief if not love persevere? Yeah. And uh, as, as you see the weight of catastrophe and tragedy befall all of our lives, and to be able to see that grief not only as a bitterness but as a gift. I love the way you said, I couldn't tell if they were... T- tears of bitterness of joy because they taste the same um you you see that perseverance of love for the person even though they're gone but it's like all right in light of the vision they had and in light of the life i lived i can still go and it doesn't necessarily make it easy the grief will attack you at times but um it'll be worth it and uh, oh man um yeah pastor john this has been such an encouragement to me thanks yeah yeah, I, I was like, I read this and I was like, I'm going to just uh, ask him if he's... Uh, ask away, man. I'm glad. Yeah. yeah, glad to be able to do this. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's been encouragement. But so to all weary and heavy laden pilgrims, uh, here's to us painting a canvas of hope and Amen. finding rest in Jesus as we continue. Um, Amen. Amen.